Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. It mattered to that one. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Mark Nolte. Mark is a lifelong Iowan who feels indebted to the state and has spent his professional life trying to help strengthen and grow the economy through entrepreneurship. He and his wife, Leslie, have five children. Mark is considering a run for governor as an independent in 2022 to bring Iowans back together and solving problems with common sense. Mark and I discuss his journey into economic development. We dig into the need for more collaborative ways to address the complex or wicked problems that may be preventing our communities and state from being the best that they can be. It was an honor having Mark join me on the show. Mark has been a big help when I launched my company and incredibly supportive of me as I started this podcast. Really appreciated his stories and perspectives. I thank Mark for sharing his time and insights. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Mark Nolte, thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you here on the IO Idea podcast. If you don't mind, uh, could you tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've been loving listening to these. Uh, so I'm a um, born and, and raised Iowan. I was uh, uh, born actually in the Coralville area uh, and adopted and grew up in uh, north central Iowa, town of Sheffield, Iowa, and had a great childhood uh, around family and great schools. And then I came to the University of Iowa and um, met my wife and we started a business. She started a business. I helped uh, and that was really difficult because we were two young kids with no money and it's hard to do that. And that kind of led me to want to get involved in economic development. And so I, I started working in microenterprise development, helping low income people start businesses. And then this was back in the earmark era and Senator Harkin set up an earmark to create um, a national organization that just helped people with disabilities start businesses. Uh, and I worked for that for a while and continue to get more and more frustrated with politics. So I left that to run for the state legislature and that didn't work out, but it was a great experience. And then I got into more traditional economic development and worked for the Iowa City Area Development Group for 14 years. And that kind of brings us to where we're at. That's great. Thanks. So uh, you, you went to school at the University of Iowa. What uh, what'd you major in? What brought you to Iowa? I came uh, thinking I was going to do communications because I worked in high school as a part-time weekend disc jockey yep. for KWD. Oh, I forgot the call letters now. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You said my radio voice. Yeah. Anyway, I started liking psychology classes and ended up majoring in psychobiology uh, with a kind of an unofficial minor in religion. Right so on. I really thought that through. Yeah. Uh, so did you do any work at KRUI when you were? Only uh, a couple undergrad? little spots. Yeah. Okay. Here and there, but never had like a, my own show or anything. My, my first regular show, I had the coveted uh, midnight to 6am Saturday morning spot. 
huge listeners. Right, right. I think I think maybe three people listening, maybe at the most. But it a was lot of security guards in. Right, right. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so you got you got into uh, kind of the the psychology elements then as well, and then you also uh, religion. Did you have? Uh, did you take Quest for Human Destiny? I never actually took a Jay Holstein class. It seemed too you know, too trite, like everyone yeah. takes those. I, <laughs> You're carving uh, your own path. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a professor Fox. Um, I took everything by him and he would do these two and a half hour Tuesday, Thursday lectures. Um, and the classes are like love, power, and justice. And they always had three words, but they were, they were amazing. Uh, that's great. And then, yeah, I, I'd love uh, to talk to you a little bit more too about kind of your journey into economic development, both at the micro, like you said, the micro level and then uh, ICAD. And I'm, I'm kind of curious too on just the time that you've spent uh, working in economic development in the state, kind of your journey, what you've seen and kind of what trends, like where do you think we're, we're going? But if you don't mind just kind of starting what were some of what were some of the interesting things that were going on in your early days of economic development? Some of the things that you know, just really learning. I, you know, I, I there was there was poverty in in my hometown, but I didn't not like there was later, right? I think, um, and that was a big a big learning for me when I first started getting into this, just meeting with people, especially some of the refugees that had come here. Uh, big Sudanese population in this community. And so we'd, we'd have these classes, it was like uh, twice a week for 16 weeks. It was, it was a rigorous class to, to go through these. Uh, so we do go through the thing and this young white guy would get up and tell them this is how business is done and all this. And then afterwards they would tell me their stories about how they got here. And it was heartbreaking, you know, parents talking about watching their, their loved ones get lined up and, and executed in front of them. And, but they were so grateful to be here, even though, you know, they were living in uh, assisted housing and, you know, you know, and, but they still had dreams and they still had things they wanted to pursue and they just needed some guidance in, in how our tax code works and how lending works because that was a foreign concept to them. So things like that, that was, I think the, the biggest learning is just where people come from and the resiliency and the, the desire to not give up. And to a lot of people, entrepreneurship is, is that path to right. many more things. And uh, so what are, what were from, you know, kind of look, looking back and looking forward, what are some of the themes or patterns you're seeing in economic development, maybe especially in Iowa? Well, you know, again, it's, it's around that track. I think we're going to have to do, continue to do a better job of supporting an entrepreneurial mindset, teaching it in our schools, making it, it's, it is, it's, it is a mindset. It's not a skill set as much. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a belief set, a system yep. that we need to do a better job of instilling in more of our young people, because just the nature of how the economy works, it's, you know, people think in economic development, somehow you can pull the lever backwards and go back to the 50s and that suddenly there's going to be all these factories and things like that. But with automation and artificial intelligence and all that, that's just not, it's not real, realistic. And I get frustrated with politicians who, who lie and, and make it seem like, yeah, we just need to get that next company to come here. That It's not coming. Right. 
And we do a disservice to people by telling them it is. But if we can start to empower people that, you know, the flip side of that is there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and it, it, you can do it anywhere, right? You can be in the smallest rural Iowa community. I mean, obviously you need broadband, which is a, yeah. a, a big gap, but you know, you can, you can be creating these things. You can work anywhere. I think that's, that's one thing we've learned from this pandemic is you don't have to be tied to an office anymore. So there are, there are huge opportunities for our state to bring people back and attract people and say, bring your job, bring your career, start something here, but we've got to support that better. And we nickel and dime that, right? We, there's some programs, but we underfund them. There's very little seed funding in the state. There's one true venture capital fund, right? That's, that's not going to move the dial. We need a lot more. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, just uh, help me understand kind of that, that nickel to dodge that is that at the state not investing or is it not enough programs? What, what does it look like for it to improve? It's a little bit of both. The state has done some good things over the last few years. They, I, I think they could ratchet up how much they're putting, they're taking away from, you know, traditional economic development right, and, and putting it towards these entrepreneurial programs. Cause the proof of commercial relevance demonstration fund, those kind of things, they, they get, you know, that, that money gets used every year. So that's a sign that there's an interest there and that we should put more money in that. But then one of the other things that the harder thing to overcome is that, um, that notion of risk. Um, Iowans, Midwesterners are pretty tight with their money. And so we've struggled to get good seed funds. Uh, Ames does a great job with their seed fund, but we need more people willing to part with some capital to try some things uh, and invest in some of these, these ideas. Yeah, and I know, uh, like we said, due to technology, some of the the constraints to geography are changing. But I know from a like a venture capital perspective, it's it's basically uh, New York, Boston, and Silicon Valley is like where most venture venture capital is, and and people be more comfortable with risk, right? That yeah. Uh, and yeah, a couple, I mean, a couple things too. I think where. We, we share some coming back around to like in strategic doing and how these complex adaptive problems don't yield to previous best practices. And as I've shared on the podcast before, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. For a long time, Rockford was like a middle class dream, right? Because you you didn't even have to graduate high school, but the 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 broad stroke arc was you could graduate high school, go to a factory, either you know start out start out pushing a broom on the floor. Uh, or work in a mail room. And if you showed up every day, right, you could advance. And so much so, right, that and stereotypically, it was more male than a female, but one person could fund a middle class house, mm -hmm. a, a family with multiple kids with one worker, right. And that, and in the late 60s, early 70s, those jobs start to go away. 82, right, that economic recession, I think Rockford was at 25% unemployment. And those jobs don't come back. Or even if they are manufacturing, they're not manufacturing the way everybody's mental model was before that, right, is the amount of data literacy that people need, the, some basic computer skills too, to even run machinery now. And that's one of the things that I think is hard is we have parents and grandparents meaning well, Right, but you just get a job here, do this, and everything will work out. But that that economy doesn't exist anymore. Right, that that worked well when it, we were pretty nationalistic, right? Before it was truly a global economy, and then, right, you know, these 
publicly traded entities realized we could save a lot of money to go to to Mexico, to China, whatever. And so the value of labor went down. Right. But we didn't adjust, you know, it, it took a long time for us to catch on to that. And we didn't change our educational models, you know, and all those things. And so we were slow, slow to adapt and we're still haven't fully adapted. Right. And again, you hope you learn some things through this pandemic that, you know, there are opportunities to rethink how we educate our young people. Um, yeah, it's like like uh, just drawing on strategic doing a little bit again too. It's that, and while these complex adaptive problems, you can't use the same problem solving mindset you had, but while they're complex, they do. Uh, you can manage them with some general principles, and and that's where I feel like if we could dig more into some of the principles based on the outcomes we're looking for, rather than like specific output, which seem to be like outdated. Uh, outdated markers or measures of success. Uh, so I know that's a big, a big challenge. Yeah. And this is where some of our government institutions have let us down this. And you see it in the politics that instead of going to these rural communities with tools like strategic doing and saying, all right, what do you want to do here? Right. right. What, what can you, as this town, what can, you know, it, it's still this notion of waiting for the savior to come in with, you know, whatever it is, you know, and that we've got to stop doing that. Yeah, a compliment to that is, uh, and it's one on the innovation front, the toolkit that I love is systematic inventive thinking. And it, it's also another name for it is inside the box thinking, because it is it's, the outside the box is, <clears throat> yeah, optimistic, these things can happen. But systematic inventive thinking, what do we have, right? Mm -hmm. So in this community, and it's kind of like, all right, what assets do we have? Now, what are we going to do with it rather than kind of this way, oh, we just need a little bit more money, or we just need uh, that <laughs> a new employer to come to town. Yeah. With without what what can you do today? And so I really like the, those notions too of look at your assets, and what is your problem? How do you define it? And now what are ways that you can kind of test and iterate and prototype to to make progress? And inspiring and empowering people to do that. Right. And one of my favorite stories is, is Barry Boyer, who was with Van Meter, used to tell the story about they were going through this cultural shift and he was really trying to change the culture. They were becoming an ESOP. And he said he had this guy in, in a warehouse that was just this antagonistic, just thought all this was garbage and hooey and blah, blah, blah. And so he asked him one day, he said, well, does the warehouse run as efficiently as it could? The guy's like, oh, hell no. We don't, we could blah, blah, blah. blah. He listed off all the things. And so you know, Barry tells the story great, but he kind of pauses and, and says, okay, so who told you you couldn't do those things? You know, and, and this light came on for this guy and he was like, you're right. No one ever told me I couldn't. I, my assumption was I'm not empowered. Yep. Right? And that's the, that's the belief system that you've got to change. And so once that guy realized he was empowered and management, if you will, wanted him to come forward with solutions. And that's what and that's where, where I still think the Midwest and, and states like Iowa have an advantage because people do care, right? I don't care what, what widget you're making or whatnot. The people that show up every day do care right? and, and they want to be part of something bigger. And if the culture is such that their ideas and opinions are valued and they feel like they, are, they can be part of making that change, then you see some of these companies in Iowa that can do phenomenal things and compete with any any Silicon Valley startup and do it 10 times faster. Look at, look at Pear Deck and you know, right. this week. 
Yeah. Want to dig in a little bit, if you don't mind walking me through the story, because I feel like where we really met was through ICAD and Merge. And so obviously I'm a big, big fan of Merge, but can you walk me through how we got Iowa City to think about co-working? Because it's it's generally still a novel concept across the country, but having having that investment and, and starting to bring that together, do you mind walking me through how that happened? Yeah, and because it, it was a process. So I'll go back to 2007 when I first started with ICAD. And, and I, one of my favorite stories is when I was interviewing for the role, um, Joe Raso, who's the president at the time, you know, he's like, here's what we do. We go to trade shows and we try to attract employers with, you know, tax credits and that sort of thing. And I blurted out at the interview. I said, that sounds stupid. You know, not something you're supposed to say at an interview, (laughs) but I kind of had a moment of just what? And he was, he, to his credit, he was like, it is. He's like, and I want to change it. I want to, I want to rethink what economic development is, especially in a community like this, where we've got a research university and all that. So we started down that path of exploring, you know, why do some communities have a better entrepreneurial ecosystem and what are the tools? And so we brought in people from Austin and, and, uh, you know, just tried to learn, right. The first step is just learning. What did you do? What, you know, what ideas can we steal? Mm-hmm. And that was one of them was that you need physical space where people feel empowered to do stuff. You need the seed funds, you need all that stuff, but sometimes the, the entry level, just creating an affordable entry level space for people to do. So then we had to take that to the board uh, you know, ICAD's a nonprofit, and we had a board of 33 people who, who were pretty, at that time, pretty bent on, just tell us about the companies that are coming to town. And, right. And so we went as far with one of our board meetings one time, we staged a co-working environment. The Gazette had some space over in the old Capitol Mall that was kind of underutilized. And we brought in Andy Stoll and Amanda Styron and Michael and Riley, who were with uh, I can't remember what the name of their first company was, and Josh um, Krakauer, and all these these uh, the, the the few entrepreneurial people we could find in the community, these crazy young people in jeans right. and t-shirts, and we staged them. We were like, "This is what it would look like," and we and we had our board walk through, and we we're like, "This is what we need to create," and they're like, "Okay, like figure it out." So then we had to come up with a business plan and figure out the funding and all that. And uh, like, what was funny is right about the time that we got that mostly figured out, then Joe left to go to Colorado Springs. And so then it was on me as the new guy, as the interim, right? You know, I didn't have have a job, right? I, I was singing for my supper, but the board <laughs> board held true to their commitment. And we had uh, Chuck Peters was our board chair at the time. And he didn't waver on the support because he saw, you know, the potential. And we started over on Lynn street in a space that was great. It was beautiful space, uh, just a couple blocks too far off downtown. And, and we were paying market rate yeah. and it was not sustainable, but we got through three years of scraping by and beg, borrow and stealing. And, and some, you know, great people like um, the folks at all steel helped us out with the furniture and, and stuff like that. And then, the space that merges in now was sitting empty and the city manager said, all right, we can make this work. We can, you know, and that, that, that was what put it on the path to sustainability was because this, now we had a partner in the city that could help us with a lease rate that was 
that we could cash flow and still make it affordable. But it, it was, I had a lot of sleepless nights with that first iteration. I'm like, we, we, I put a lot of chips on this co-working thing, right? Rent is this, we can only charge this much. And so there was a gap, but you know, I walked by it last night. We we're out putting up those yard signs to thank the healthcare workers. And I, I, I walked by last night and it merges closed, but I, I just, I smiled for a minute and I was like, we did that. Yeah. You know, and then, and again, the, the news about Pear Deck, they started at that old collab and, um, and Roby Miller with Telefarm started at the old collab. And so these things take time. And I think that's that investment in the future that communities have to make. Uh, you know, it's great to see we've got one in North Liberty and we got the one in Corville now. And I was looking at uh, uh, a website today from a company that started at 808 in Corville and, you know, what they're doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I personally too, for me, just loving, I think one of the great things about the physical side of it, I mean, there's so many things that we can do remote, but that, that physical, just bumping into people or like just a reminder or just, you know, like a coffee conversation that leads to a lot of it is, you know, uh, you have an interesting problem or you're doing this. I don't know if I can help, but I know somebody, right? It's just yes. like this, the, this network effect that just kind of ripples through. And, um, yeah, I just love, uh, love being a part of that community. And, and being, it, it is a community and you're in a space where people don't think you're crazy for wanting to do your own thing. And right. that, I think that's what is so helpful. Yeah. You know, who you're ever going to bump into getting coffee is kind of on that same journey. Um, and you know, we were the economic development group, but we were taking the same journey. Like we were, we were trying to figure it out. And so it was so great for us to be around entrepreneurs every day, as opposed to the old way, which was we'd sit in our office isolated and be trying to think about, well, what do, what do people need? So, yeah. And to, to your point, it's one, one of the unique things, and I, I think it's getting better, but uh, that I think about Iowa city for whatever reason, Burlington does seem to be this, the, this boundary right between like what is downtown and what isn't and I mean it's just a block different sometimes but now that you now that merge is in the middle mm-hmm. of the ped mall it just feels like it's the center of downtown and so yeah there's just a lot of energy so I can see sometimes even just being a couple blocks away how it could feel a little different it, it it's in, you're, you're spot on there was just a world we might as well have been in another town sometimes being on South Burlington just be or across it because yeah People just didn't know we were there. And then the other thing was we had to, we had to go elbow to elbow to maximize the number of bodies we could put in there. And there was really no um, event space. Yeah. Right? We couldn't do big meetings. Right. And that, that has been, you know, sometimes I flip back through the pictures on my phone and some of the people we've had through merged that have come in and spoken and, you know, for book signings and uh, presidential candidates, you know, just it's, that's what's been great. Like when Dave Gould was doing his, um, the green room series, and then we'd all come to merge after for the, the debrief. Right. Uh, some of those conversations were amazing. So that, that's, that was the other part of that. It's just creating that kind of living room for the community. Um, for all those other things too. That was another, I think, critical piece of infrastructure that we were missing as a community. Yeah, because that that open area and that that community space and the large meeting room uh, and like you said, it does it just feels like a, a big living room for for the community. Question for you, digging into because you mentioned healthcare just a, a couple of minutes ago, and uh, I know you're doing work with uh, Project Better Together, and 
actually, just before our call, I got my a couple gift cards and and uh, a card for a healthcare worker because I love I love the uh, there was a sponsor a healthcare worker project uh, to just thank them for all that they're they're doing. How did that come about? And if you don't mind talking a little bit about Project Better Together. So the four economic development orgs, um, ICAD, the business partnership, uh, the downtown district, and Think Iowa City, which is our convention's business bureau, they came together uh, this spring and said, we got we to gotta be working together to get through this. And Project Better Together sprung out of that. And I had left ICAD to go into manufacturing and that, you know, math and COVID kind of changed that yeah. whole thing. So I was uh, around and they asked me if I'd, you know, pick up a contract to help just staff that and be an extra set of hands. And so we've been having these weekly meetings every Friday morning uh, as this committee. And we've got the leadership from the hospitals, the university, um, our state representatives and state senators and Congress and Loebsack's office and anyway, uh, and business leaders. And, you know, we could see this coming and the hospital leadership, you know, just, you know, all summer, like, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Our people are tired. We already, you know, so this notion of adopt a healthcare worker came from those conversations. Like what can we possibly do to show that we haven't given up on them? Because we know these healthcare workers, as they see these numbers rising and the, the people coming through the door, they have to think that we've lost our minds out here and we don't care right. through our decisions. And you can argue the, the, the lack of leadership from, on high has, has not been helpful. And so we just thought, what, what, what could we possibly do to show? And so the communication staffs really came up with this adopt a healthcare worker concept. Um, so if we can support local business, you know, go get them a gift card at Java house or bread garden or something like that. Right. Yep. And just show them that we haven't forgotten about them, that we do appreciate what they're doing, the sacrifices they're making. And in some way, in some ways apologize for the collective lack of, good decision-making that our state has shown that's impacted them. Yeah, I know it's uh, a few healthcare workers that I know lo locally and, and uh, just across the, across the country. And that, that just, it's a constant grind and it's been a constant grind for them. And they, that's like even one of the hard parts for a friend of mine, who's a nurse in Southern California. It's like, you know, it's, like this, this pro message that everybody, you know, thank a healthcare worker, but then like going out and seeing people behave in ways that are just making COVID worse. She said, it just yeah. feels, it's a downer. And so it's hard to keep that positive energy. So I really do like this, this way to at least uh, connect with some folks and say, we appreciate you. And and so I, I, I thought this was a great, great program. So I was, I was excited to, <laughs> uh, and anybody listening, it, it it was so easy to do on my part, right? It was just said, it basically raised my hand via email. And then the next day yeah. I had a, a, a nominated healthcare worker and why they're, why they're special and just what some of the things they might appreciate. So that was, it was really cool. And it's not, it, we're not asking people to spend a bunch of money or anything like that. And frankly, we're not supposed to, but we're not yeah. going to worry about that. But, you know, just send a card, you know, yep. make that human connection. And we're really one of, you know, we, we know there's a lot of, uh, especially with the holidays, people couldn't gather. We know there's a lot of single folks out there, people that live here, that their families in another part of the country. We're really concerned about the mental health crisis on top of all this. Uh, and that was one area we thought we could start to chip away at it a little bit. 
That's cool. Uh, want to talk to you a little bit more from just kind of your expert lens on economic development and uh, and Iowa. So like when when Iowa's at its best, and and if we thought about like our our assets, what what are some things that Iowa can start doing better when it comes to economic development? About being thought leaders, production leaders, just. When I was at its best, what do we do well, and how how can we accelerate that superpower uh, in the future? That's a great question. I would say when I was at its best, it's solving problems, you know, using a lot of common sense, and you know that's we got to stay true to that. We got to get back to that and do more of that. Um, and that comes, you know, go back to that Van Meter example. I think that's what we need to be doing in education right now. Like go to the teachers and say. What could, you know, if you were allowed, what would you want to do? And we need to listen to that and empower those. I mean, and realize, and, and again, you know, you, you and I know that with strategic doing that, that's how, if the folks with the power enable the, the, the folks who actually know what the problems are and they yep. support those problems then everyone goes up and we just need to do a better job of doing that with in, in an economic development, that means more more businesses will start as more problems are solved and but i think it always comes back to education and you and i've had some great conversations about this over the years that that to me is the is if we if iowa could go back to being the model for what 21st century education could be because when right. we were kids it was we were very proud of the fact that it was iowa and minnesota were always number one and number two in education mm -hmm. and we've fallen but we could get back to that right and if we're solving problems so there are going to be opportunities. The Southwest is running out of water. The Southeast is, has too much water. Uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, migration happening from climate change. We know that. Uh, we could, there are going to be opportunities, but we need to, to be able to look someone in the eye and say, this is why you should move back to the state, that your, your kids are going to get this remarkable educational experience, you know, we're diverse, we're welcoming, we've got good housing stock and internet. And right now we can't say any of that. Right, right. Right? It, it's, we'd be lying through our teeth to say that. So we've got some traditional values that we absolutely need to build from, you know, that caring about each other and the hard work ethic and all that. But we've got we've to find different ways to, to address some of these issues. Because, and if we do, you know, we can either scare people away and say that things are going to get worse, or we can paint the picture and say, what you know, think about what it could be. And that's, right. that's the, the failure that we're seeing right now in our politics. Politics is all about fear and, and anger. Right, right. Yeah, that's where I feel too, like, you know, like my kind of framing for when Iowa is at its best too, I feel like it is, it's much more collaborative, and much more uh, positive, and not Pollyannish, right. But yeah, we like uh, that good combination of common sense and smarts, we can power through this. We can figure it out. It's solvable, right? Yeah. And you know, and even taking long views on things and doing short short things to to get there. And that's where I feel we, uh, especially on the political side, we've burned so much energy on anger and going against folks rather than you know here here are things like it would be hard to disagree that people want better educational outcomes for their for their kids now how are we going to get there right and what are we going to do and and what does that enable i think that's another thing i think sometimes the conversation it 
before the world became more complex, right? It was, if you had a good education, that alone was, was a pretty good you know, kind of uh, guarantee that you were going to, you were going to have a, a good life, right? I mean, things still happen, but you, odds were pretty good. But yeah. now even having a, a, what would be considered a good education. And I think therein we we probably could have a pretty long conversation too, is how do we even operationalize or define good education now? Right? But yeah, and the R, the ROI on on higher ed right now is difficult to justify. Right, the amount of right. debt that these young people are taking, and then the starting salaries for some of these jobs, it's. Yeah, I a friend of mine that does a lot of work uh, in the innovation consulting space, uh, and a lot of the work they do with, we just loosely call them trusted advisors, so financial advisors, real estate agents, uh, insurance. And uh, just seeing a strong correlation to to almost weakness in the real estate market that is tied to uh, college debt, right? So like my parents' generation, like my parents went to Northern Illinois University, so a decent state school. Uh, my dad could pay his entire tuition with his summer job mm-hmm. for that year, right? And, and there, there's there's no way at a at a, a mid-tier state school that a kid can pay their own way just with a summer job. So my dad, my dad didn't have to work during the school year, right? But he, he worked at a horse farm shoveling horse shit you know, for long hours, but it paid for his school year. And uh, I think that's another thing. I think sometimes older generation looks back and said, well, I worked hard and paid my way, but it's, you know, if you look at the numbers, it's, it, it's almost mathematically impossible for a kid to put in enough hours. Yeah to pay for that. So yeah, that, that whole economic model and, and what do we want out of it? I think really needs to be challenged. Yep. Uh, I know some, some programs that are working too, but I, I just heard in my hometown, uh, they're doing something called the Rockford promise. And, yeah. uh, and that is combined with Northern Illinois university the pub, for the public schools. If you, if you graduated with a three O or higher, you can go to NIU for free. And I don't know how big that program is, at least they're, they're piloting and prototyping that, but I thought that was a really interesting concept too, to, to see what that might do for, for outcomes. So I'd be really curious on how we could get better too. And I know, I know we have a really healthy environment here, but still, how do you bring uh, an internationally recognized R1 university and all of its assets, a, a great, community in Iowa City, right? How do you how do you bring all of these players together to solve some of these really complex problems? Because they they don't sit in silos, the problems don't sit in silos anymore. Any any thoughts on how we could accelerate some of those superpowers that we have here? Well I'll tell you that the the project Better Together work has has helped do some of that because we've got we've got university leadership, community leaders that we're trying to figure that out. And um I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful that the next president of the university is someone that that wants to engage with this community and and sees that nexus. That the stronger the community, the stronger the the institution. Because um, I think that ebbs and flows over time. There's always a town gown. Yep. But now I think people are seeing that they're more connected than ever. Especially when you look at what some of the the economic assets of our community, specifically with ACT and Pearson and all these ed tech companies. So. You know, if we if we've got the ability, if if everyone starts rowing in the same direction, right, and we figure out what's good for ACT is good for the university, is good for the community, and, you know, and just keep repeating, right. 
And so those conversations are being had right now. And so I'm, I'm excited about that because that, that wasn't awesome. the case. Now, it, there's a lot of work that has to come from that. But, um, you know, we just talked to Director Debbie, uh, Durham this morning, Debbie Durham with the Iowa Economic Development Authority. ICAD's going after some national funding, some federal funding for the ed tech work. You know, just how do we keep doing that, right? How right. do we make this the leader in, because you can't be all things to all people, but if we, if we are this cool city of art and literature that knows how to turn ideas into money-making things, right? That that's always, you know, and the university's committed to entrepreneurship. Um, but if we can do it in that kind of ed tech focus with some biotech and there'll always be a few other things, right? But we're not going to be Boston. We're not going to be Minneapolis when it comes to like medical device and all that, but educational technology, there's an opportunity for us to compete in that space in a meaningful way and attract more people in that space. And so I'm, I'm optimistic. Now, when you zoom out and start looking at the rest of the state, we've got to figure out agriculture. I think that's, right. that's the next big thing. How do you feed a global population, but do it in a manner that is uh, in harmony with water and soil needs right. and, and profitable for the average farmer, the average rural community, because right now the, the gains have gone to the large multinational corporations and you've got, um, we've glorified this notion of the family farmer, but especially when you get into some of the poultry and some of that, like that's not farming, that's indentured servitude. Right, right. right. The company owns the chickens that you have to buy the food from the company. So you're the farmer right? You own the building and you're in debt up to your eyeballs on that building, but you don't control your market. You don't control your product. And you're, you're over-indexed in on the risk, right? You, yeah, you're holding so you almost, almost all the risk and, yeah. and yeah, the, the, the profits are almost guaranteed for the, the large corporation. Yeah. And so now you're seeing suicides in these rural areas just continue to go up and up and up. So it's not working. Yeah. So again, we got to sit down with those people and say, all right, what you know, as opposed to some bureaucrat coming up in from on high and saying, I've got all the answers. We've got to sit down with the people that are in that and say, what, what could you do? What's the doable? What are those first small changes that would make things? Yeah. Thank, and, thank you. Yeah. Cause that, that frame too, I just love too for strategic doing, but like the, the emphasis of doing the doable, like just focusing on what we can get done to move forward. Uh, on the collaboration front, this just came across my radar too. So it's kind of having these conversations. It's just like, you know, coffee bumping into people. But uh, our, I just found out about a project through uh, the Overman Center. Uh, um, and it is, and I'm going to butcher the name, but it's, uh, I think it's a project for the, for human good. Okay. I think I'm, uh, but that is, uh, it's, it's like humanities, humanities for the public good. Have you heard about this? I'm if it's attached to the Oberman Center, I'm I'm assuming David Gould or someone like that is in there behind it. You know, they they do yeah. some things there. Yeah, it's it's sorry, it's humanities for the public good, and and they're focused on cultivating an ecosystem of of academic departments, cultural organizations, and employers to create pathways to existing to existing and yet unimagined careers. Wow, I love dedicated it. to public good. So. Um, I know I just saw something about one of the new postdocs that will be doing uh, re research and leading some of that. So I'm trying to reach out to her uh, also 
one selfishly for for the Iowa Idea podcast because it it fits perfectly with the original Iowa Idea, but it also feels like yeah these are the things we're trying to do and so sometimes when I hear more about these things like how do we right how do we bring these resources and energy together so we're not you know like burning ourselves out and we can can kind of uh, bring these together but I was really excited about that because that is. I was talking to another friend on the innovation front. One of the things we're looking into is how do you turn that strategic doing, uh, design thinking, innovation, energy towards public good rather than just building the next Yelp, right? It's yeah, exactly. The, the apps that help the privileged class make sure that they get the right appetizer at the right restaurant and that they have the right Uber driver. There's a lot of money that was spent and a lot of energy, but... <laughs> Those aren't the wicked problems. So, and I, I don't even know if those are problems worth solving, but that's where we get so excited and celebrate uh, those apps and outcomes. Rather, and so, yeah, I just love to, like, what else can we do? And from a, a research kind of institution perspective, what crazy experiments might we cook up here to learn and to think you use the word failure before too. And like, so that failure is not a bad word, right? As long as you're learning, like how, how can we, yeah, we were talking about failure related to risk, right? With yeah. like venture capital. And I think that is a big thing too, is culturally, usually failure sounds bad, but if, if you're failing and learning, right? So how do we get better at that? Sorry, I'm all over the place, but, no, I, but I get that, so excited when we yeah, talk about this potential. But that's that's the kind of the mindset we have to have. You know, and I go, one of my favorite parables is the, the kid on the beach with the starfish, right? If everyone's heard that one, the... Are you familiar with that one? No, no, sorry. Oh, all right. So or maybe I have, maybe I have. But. Yeah, so um, this guy walks down the beach and the tide has washed in all these starfish and they're laying on the beach dying. And there's this little kid that's yep. picking them up and throwing them in. And this guy comes by and he's like, kid, you're wasting your time. Like, look at the, as far as you can see, these, you know, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. And the kid picks one up and throws it in the ocean. He says it mattered to that one. Yeah, and yep. that's the kind of mindset we have to have. I think it's too right. easy, especially. I think we especially saw it when the pandemic first hit. People just kind of withdrew, and it's like, well, we can't solve the problem, so we throw our hands up. And so, go back to the uh, um, the adopt a healthcare worker thing, right? We can't solve mental health among healthcare workers, right? Yeah, but we can make a difference in as many of those people's lives as we possibly can. Right. That's, that's one starfish at a time. Right. Right. And that's, and we have to have that mindset and that mentality in these rural communities too. I love some of the work Zach Manheimer's doing right now. He's going into rural communities and saying like, what's, you know, basically it's strategic doing. He just didn't know that's what he was doing. Yeah. I explained the concept. He's like, that's what we're doing. <laughs> but like, what's one thing that we could do in this town that would be, that would create a little pride, a little buzz, right? It's not going to solve all your problems. Right. But, um, and so in my hometown of Sheffield, Iowa, they've, there's an old movie theater that sat empty since I was a kid. I mean, probably closed in the early 80s sometime. And they're working on now, how do they reactivate that as some sort of community space or something? Right. Again, is it going to solve all of the town's woes that have amassed since in the last 40 years? No, but it's a step. And it's like Ed Morrison, you know, the stories he would tell us, you know, sometimes you just got to get out and pull the weeds. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. That's great. Thanks. Uh, switching gears a little bit. Uh, so we've been, you know, steeped in, uh, where are we, nine, 10 months into kind of pandemic life. 
what what are you doing on the music front oh not enough um you know that's been really tough the the group uh our band is very covid conscious and we we've had maybe four uh five practices since everything this summer you know the problem with summer it was still pretty busy with everything else kids activities but so we did a few practices out in uh, a driveway where we could spread out (laughs) um we've gone into the dance studio where we could spread out but now that the winter's turned again and um so not as much so you'd think we'd have emerged with like you know two albums worth of new music when but sadly not as much yeah, I know. I've been talking to some different musicians and some of them too, like depending on the music, also the context, right? Like just an individual singer songwriter or a couple people like, exchanging files that kind of works. But I was yeah. talking to uh, somebody who their main band right now involves ho- a horn section. <laughs> it's really hard to coordinate your horn section over kind of zoom files. So yeah, that, that the platform as good as zoom is for meetings and stuff like that. We tried that once for the lag times and it was miserable and we're, you know, our group, we just kind of like to be together and jam around a little bit and see what works. And so we haven't, you know, but we know that summer's coming and, you know, talking to Andre Perry yesterday, he got me all fired up that, you know, this summer could be, you know, we got to really commit to making this summer once we get through. Yeah like these summer for live music and getting outside and, and like waking up again and you know, kind of make up for lost time. So we got to yeah. overcorrect and make this summer the biggest party ever. So he, he fired me up yesterday. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Cause I, I was thinking about some of the things that, you know, like not having any really of the summer of the arts elements and the, uh, and then also the downtown block party, which is also yeah. a hoot. Um, another, yeah. and then now, uh, want to if if you don't mind talking a little bit uh i know that nolte academy is readjusting a little bit because one of the big markers of the holiday season in winter is the production of the nutcracker and so that i know that uh obviously it means a lot more to you but just you know our family that is one of our big mark that we love yeah uh that so what what are you doing now with uh nutcracker so yeah and and, and that's the thing so it is. That is kind of how we mark our family marks yeah. the holidays too. And uh, so they have been working since this summer to put together a recorded version that is very non-traditional. Yeah. Um, shot all around I- the Iowa city area and beautiful landscapes. And uh, so that'll be coming out. Leslie's walking by me. When does the uh, opening night's Friday, this a coming a week from today is right on. Weekend. Yeah. And like, so one of the things, I mean, the, <laughs> she just totally walked into a wall. Uh, uh, one of the things the they shot one scene that you'll see in there, and you won't be able to see it. But um, do you remember the week of the pirate bugs? Yeah. Remember this like yeah. late summer, early fall when those little <laughs> yeah. And and what did those things love? They liked white, right? If you were wearing white clothing. Yeah. So they're outside filming on the old Capitol steps, I think. No, we're on the river. That he the probably, I don't know if he can pick oh, it up. Oh, I can hear. Yeah. Oh, you can. All right, go yeah. ahead. Come on. Uh, hi. 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 <laughs> we were on the river in front of the IMU, and we had our snowflake costumes on, which are, of course, traditionally 100% right. white. And these girls are how old? And so we're like um, seventh through 12th grade. Oh. And they're like, so, so fast forward, we recorded in 42 degree weather in leotard and tights. 
and they're like, this is, this is glorious. This is the Bahamas compared to that pirate bug day. I mean, I'm running around them, like brushing off as many bugs as I can. And they were getting welts. They bit so hard. It was oh. terrible. Anyway, campers can handle anything that, awesome. that made us a little. If that isn't 2020. <laughs> okay. Yes. Literally blood, sweat, and tears yeah. in this year's Nutcracker. But it, oh, that's great. Yeah, no. So I, I look for hopefully uh, maybe even expand the audience of folks too, to being able to enjoy this. So those are the, those are not the kids getting eaten by bugs, but the, <laughs> but all of, all of the creative thinking that has gone into thinking through, okay, we can't do this. What can we do? And so I love that spirit. So, uh, but those pirate bugs, man, that's just another, another chapter in 2020. So, uh, Mark, one of the, one of the things that I uh, dig into with guests is the notion of advice, uh, and a couple different frames could be good advice that you've had from a mentor. Um, and I know sometimes I've talked about it with folks that you know it's even like you you hear it maybe as a teenager and you kind of scoff at it, but as you get older, you realize it was pretty wise, or it, yeah. it, it still you continue to unpack it. Or others where I steal from Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. When we're giving advice, we're just talking to our younger self. So either what was good advice you received or advice you wish you would have had growing up. Oh, the wish I would have had. <laughs> um, I would say I am a product of that kind of Midwestern dream small, don't put yourself out there. That was kind of, you know, and, and a lot of it was, you know, I, I was, my grandparents, even my great grandparents were very prominent in my life and they survived the depression. And I've got a 94 year old grandma that still FaceTimes with us now. And I think some of that depression era mindset lingered and was passed into us. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, be small, think small, uh, and avoid obviously they had to avoid risk. Right. Yeah. And, and it took me a long time in my life, uh, and, and I was, you know, marrying someone like Leslie who did not have that, right? Yeah. And could never understand, you know, when we, you know, even, even little stuff like, you know, when we'd go back to Sheffield, I would dress and act in a, in a manner that I thought would, was fitting there. Like I wasn't being my authentic self. And I think that's been some of the, the best advice I've picked up over the years from people like Dave Gould and, and others, like just be who you are and, and that doesn't mean don't care about other people or, or anything like that. But when you're not, when you're not authentic, then, then you're out of harmony and, and had a chance to go through, um, Aaron Campman is, is someone that's helped me a lot. Like he's got his align, uh, process. He'd be a great guest for everything he's gone through. And, you know, just one of those things you learn. Now is this Aaron Campman, for, former football player? Yep. Okay. Yeah, how he spends his life, you know, coaching leaders and, and people on how to, how to live in alignment with your values and right on. And like anything else, we all have those old, um, old narratives that we unconsciously play in our mind and those limiting things. And you gotta, you gotta understand where those things came from and, and push through. And if you want to, if you want to grow and, and so that the, the, I think I was slow to, to get to seek out mentors and people, you know, uh, and maybe some of that just being a young person, a young man, I was insecure and didn't want yeah. to have that comparison, right? Right, right. That person's here and I'm here. I don't want to see that gap. But then yeah. as you get older, you're like, well, 
what's that person doing that so yeah no think it's um yeah, just a couple things to the the authenticity that has been one of the themes that's been coming up. And uh, just earlier today, I was talking uh, with Samantha Fern, and we were talking about the importance of, you know, being aligned to being your authentic self. And I, I just feel like you, you individually, or maybe I should just speak for me, but one that you feel healthier, you just feel yes. better when you're, you're aligned. And then I think you just bring so much more to the table. And so whether it's the safe space that we talk about in strategic doing, but when you, when you can be your authentic self as part of a team too, I think, I think you're doing the team a favor too, by being your authentic self. But uh, I do, I, I can, I can feel a little bit of what you're saying too, at that Midwestern upbringing and strong influence from my, my grandparents that were depression era. Like, here's what you need to do and get, you know, uh, get along to get along. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Get, Keep your head get, down. Yep. Yep. And be thankful you have a job. And it was even my even my dad, who was a career firefighter. Uh, he's you know, like I, I asked him uh, one time when he was retired, well, what does what does it feel like? He goes, ah, it's probably like taking your hand out of a bucket of water. Uh, as soon as your fist is gone, that water will fill in. Uh, and while he loved being a part of the fire department, he said organizations don't care about you; it's the people yeah. that care about you. And so I think he was always trying to like, don't don't fall in love with the company, right? Is because a company will let you go quickly right but yeah with the on the grandparent side boy they they don't want you to <laughs> i think the australians say that you know cut the tall poppies like if you stand out a little bit you're gonna get yes. cut and so i'm i am enjoying what i'm seeing now in workplace about bringing more authenticity and that it's it's okay to be a person uh not not just a worker so well and you i mean you're someone that's living what you speak, right? You, you've taken the, the step to become an entrepreneur and, and, yeah. you know, we just need, we need more people like you and we need to find better ways to support you so that others, the younger people coming along can, we all need those mentors. We all need role models. Right. And then you, you look at, I was talking with someone the other day about, you know, um, how do we get more, you know, African-Americans into careers like healthcare and stuff. They don't right. see themselves in that role because they don't see their role models. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got to break some of those cycles. Uh, and, and that is, you know, it's, you know, it's a separate from the pandemic, but everything that we wrestled with this summer as a society right. around George Floyd's murder and, and the 15 other police killings of, right. of African-Americans, uh, you know, we've got, we now is the time to have honest conversations and not ignore that there are real problems. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate what Project Better Together has done, too, uh, regarding the, the Black Lives Matter movement and just also uh, found interesting, saw it in the news today that uh, just as we're recording this, that uh, Iowa City is officially recognizing Juneteenth as a holiday. So starting nice. next year. And so that that I, I appreciated that. I know we've been going through a lot of turmoil and uh I, I also appreciate what uh, Mayor Teague and the city council was doing to to address uh, some of the grievances as somebody that has some inside insight through community stuff to what was going on. One of the frustrating things for me was the city's already working on these things, like some, some yeah. of the things, that it, but then you got to realize it doesn't, if, if somebody doesn't see it or feel it, it's not real to them. And so yep. I, I do, I do like, uh, a, a way many of the city councilors uh, had an authentic, open, uh, listening mindset 
to what yes. was going on rather than just saying we're working on this or dismissing. Uh, I think that was helpful for the community. I know, I, you know, it was interesting because you, 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 they really did. They were really, really, really willing to listen. And I think that that maybe even caught some of the protesters by surprise. You know, it's like, right. we demand a seat at the table. OK, right. <laughs> here you go. And they're like, well, well all right, uh, let's and and but you know and, and obviously they they had a they have you know and, and it was great you know obviously more can be done more faster that and, and yep. i get that you get the frustration and you you put it very well if it's not if that's not how they they're feeling it then it's not the reality right but we are as this community so much farther along in some of those police reforms and some of those things that need to happen and yeah more work needs to be done and i, I saw they announced the the first um I can't remember the term, but they're, they're commissioned to the, yeah, you know, yep, you know, with a little more because they had a, a a group before, but they didn't have a lot of power, didn't have a lot of teeth, and now, uh, and so I see Royce and Porter is part of that, and I get to jump on a at two o'clock a, a Zoom surprise for her. She's getting recognized oh. for a Bravo award. Awesome. Um, by the time this airs, that'll be it. Won't be a surprise anymore. Yeah. But uh, so we're we're. She's been invited to a two o'clock Zoom to talk about. I can't remember who, what crazy thing someone told her she had to get on the Zoom, but we're yeah. going to surprise her with this award here in a minute. Um, right so on. people like that, it was great, you know, to see her um, emerge, you know, as as a leader in the Black community. And that's great. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, it, I just think the world of her. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, and it was, was good to catch up. It's always good to to uh, have a conversation with you. So have a fantastic day and uh, in, enjoy the uh, the celebration. Thank you. I appreciate all you're doing. I just I just love who you are as a person and, and your courage and your your vision. And so thank you for having me on. And I, I just wish you all the success in the world. Thanks so much. You take care. All right. See you, buddy. Bye.